Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey friends, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to another edition on the MyFit Podcast. This week on the show, I'm accompanied by Molly Gabrath. Molly is the co-founder of Girls Gone Strong, the world's largest platform providing evidence-based interdisciplinary health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy education for women and the health and fitness professionals who work with them, including industry-leading certification programs and personal coaching for women. The strong women lift each other up philosophy is woven through the fabric of Girls Gone Strong as Molly leads a team of women through the U.S., Canada, UK, Mexico, India, and Australia. Molly and her company is dedicated to serving their community of over 90 plus countries around the world. Molly also speaks internationally, has been featured in publications like Time, People, Today, ABC, Women's Health, and several more. Molly is making huge waves in the fitness space and taking people's struggles head on by giving applicable ways to improve themselves while also lifting up other women. I first came across Molly when I saw her book at Target, actually, and the title really struck a chord with me. It's called Strong Women Lift Each Other Up, and I had to start reading and It didn't take long for me to realize I needed to not only buy this book, but get into touch with Molly as soon as I could. And I'm so glad that I did. Molly is an amazing woman. Uh, She has a very powerful story and has done major league things in the last decade. And most recently, she has published the book, Strong Women Lift Each Other Up. And that was what the majority of the conversation was today. As you know, we've done a couple podcast episodes talking with women activists and people who are trying to create uh, more opportunities for women and try to have more conversations and make these some of these conversations more normalized. If you guys remember, I had Rachel Balkovich on the, sh- on the podcast, who is the strength coach with the New York Yankees and also Stacey Sims, both uh, female leading experts in the industry, trying to have some conversations that maybe aren't being talked about uh, and making things more normalized across the board for men and for women. And this conversation was right up there with those other two. I really enjoyed talking to Molly. Some of the topics we got into was first, what was the process of starting the number one fitness education platform for women? What was the vision and uh, where did where did things start? And what were some of the, maybe the struggles that you guys had uh, uh, from the beginning? After that, we talked about the most common struggles that women are going through. You know, if you're talking with Molly's talking with almost a million women throughout the world uh, through her platforms, and I was curious to know what are some of the things that they're yearning for? What are some of the pieces of advice or the areas that they're needing most help with? And we talked about what are the four principles of lifting women up? This was in her book. 
after that, we talked about overcoming the comparison trap. So something that's very real, not only with women, but also with men on either comparing yourself to other people, comparing yourself to how you used to be. Maybe it was before pregnancy or when you were considered an athlete, or maybe it's comparing yourself to what's in the future. A lot of good breakdown there on how to overcome very applicable things on how to overcome the comparison trap. Then at the end, I selfishly had to ask, how can men do a better job at lifting women up? I know I understand the book was all about women lifting up other women, but I think that's just you know one side of the coin. How can we as men do a better job at lifting up other women? So this uh, episode, just like her book, is full of magnificent tools. Uh, there's a ton of value in the book. She has a lot of exercises, um, things that to work on on your own. And kind of just work through this book. And uh, it's, it's, it's a tremendous uh, uh, book reading. I think you guys will really enjoy it. You guys can grab it at Target. That's where I got it. Uh, or check it out on her website or a local bookstore. So if you guys enjoyed the show, as always, I would love to hear what the, the number one takeaway for you was. If you want to post it on your Instagram stories, that always makes my day as well. And Molly would love to see that and hear what you guys got out of the episode. Uh, and also remember that if you're looking for new workout apparel, check out Legends Clothing and use the code MYFIT215 at checkout to receive 15% off. That's M-I-F-I-T-215 to receive 15% off. All right, without further ado, let's get to this fun episode with Molly Galbraith. Let's go. Molly, welcome to the MyFit Podcast. I've been super excited to talk to you today. Ever since uh, I got in touch with your team, I've been in, or, uh, researching you, looking in your stuff, reading your book, which is phenomenal. We're going to get into that today, but I'm just really excited to chat with you and get to know you a little bit more. Thank you, DJ. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, literally music to my ears to have a guy in the fitness industry be like, I read your book and I loved it. It's so cool. I know we're going to have a great conversation. Very cool. I'm going to learn some things along the way. I'm going to do my best to jump into a female's mind and also just know that, you know, guys deal with a lot of this and struggle with a lot of the same things that women do. And maybe they're just not as open about it. So if I can kind of bridge the gap between the two, I think we're doing a good job today. So I think first things first, Molly, is uh, let's do a little bit of an introduction. Let's talk a little bit about who you are, how you got involved with Girls Gone Strong, and then we'll lead into the book. Sure. So I've been in health and fitness for almost 18 years now. It feels wild to say that. I got into it similar to a lot of other people, just, you know, felt sedentary and out of shape and wanted to quote unquote, I always put air quotes around get in shape because that means so many different things right. to different people. But I just wanted to feel better, have more energy. I had some aesthetic goals at that point in time. So I got into fitness in 2004. And very shortly after that, started dating a guy who was a personal trainer who was into competitive powerlifting and bodybuilding. So I got thrust into the world of intense exercise very quickly and just fell in love with it. Very quickly started competing in powerlifting and figure competitions back in like 05, 06. I mean, a really long time ago did that. And also started coaching clients online and in person almost immediately too. And so did that for several years. Along the way, I've done a million things. I had an online nutrition and training software business. I had a brick and mortar gym in Lexington, Kentucky. I had a seminar business where we um, educated health and fitness professionals on how to coach women. And then in 2011, I co-founded Girls Gone Strong. And um, along the way, that kind of grew. So a few years into that, sold the gym, sold the seminar business, stepped away from the software company and have been full-time Girls Gone Strong ever since. Cool. For the listeners that aren't familiar, what is Girls Gone Strong? Yeah. So Girls Gone Strong started as a platform that really just wanted to kind of preach the gospel of strength training to women. So it was a group of women who had all had our lives changed by strength training. We had a 
collegiate strength and conditioning coach. We had women who had competed in powerlifting, women who had done, you know, figure competitions, kettlebell experts. And we all had, we all got together one weekend to support one of the women at her powerlifting meet. And we had found this community. It sounds weird in 2021 to say like, oh, we couldn't find other women who like yeah. to lift, right? But like, no, seriously, like we were we were on like message boards and forums, you know what I mean? For years, like trying to find other women like us. And so we got together, we realized strength training had changed our life and that we wanted to change other women's lives with it. So that's kind of how it started. And then over the last 10 years, it has evolved into the world's largest platform providing evidence-based, interdisciplinary, women-specific health fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy education to women and professionals who work with them. So we've got two certifications that um, one is our women's coaching specialist certification covers everything from menstrual cycle, menopause, body image, disordered eating, um, pelvic health, nutrition, like everything that you can think of programming, rest, recovery, all of that really comprehensive. And then we have one that's very specific to the pre and postnatal period. So it covers pre and postnatal coaching, psychology, anatomy and physiology, exercise, rest, recovery, all very specific to the pre and postnatal period. So that's kind of what we do now is we the most the majority of our time is spent educating health and fitness professionals who work with women on how they can become the go-to coach for working with women. Mm, that's phenomenal. So this was almost nine years ago now that you guys started this. Along the way, I'm sure there's a lot of trials, tribulations, wins, ups and downs, things like that. Talk to us about what were some of the good times, maybe some of the bad times that came along with starting a company that was, you know, is what it is today. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, well, by 2014, so started with seven women. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it or not, it is difficult to try to make decisions and get things done with seven with seven people all at once. Um, but so over time, each of the other women had stepped away from the organization, and all super amicable were um, you know still great friends and very supportive of one another. Um, but by 2014, I was basically had the whole thing in my lap by myself. Um, started dating my now partner who was also an entrepreneur and he's like how does this kind of online stuff work and i'm like i don't know like let's just kind of jump in and figure out he owned a brick and mortar uh, mattress and furniture like sleep specialty shop and so we just dove in and started trying to figure out how this stuff works and by the end of 2014 Gosh, we had released our first like strength training program into the world, but I was, um, I came home from a hair appointment. My hair was falling out from stress. I mean, it was just so much trying to figure all of this out. I got into this because I love strength and conditioning, like mm-hmm. not because I want to learn about organizational structure and, you know, tech structure yeah, and finance right. and leadership and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So really along the way, it's been so much just like, jump in and figure it out. And I could not have done it without my partner, Casey. He's amazing. And we compliment each other in a lot of ways, but yeah, it's been a whole lot to go from like, here's what I love and what I'm passionate about. But then all of the things that you don't realize about running, you know, a worldwide organization that has over a million women and thousands of students in a hundred countries. And so, yeah, it's been a lot of, a lot of ups and downs um, throughout, but having like this really clear vision of who we are and what we want to do, which we also didn't have for a while. It was just kind of like, we want to help women, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But now we have a very clear mission and our mission statement is we create evidence-based interdisciplinary health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy education for women and professionals who work with them because we believe when women feel strong, confident, and empowered in their lives and bodies, we can change the world. Mm -hmm. So fitness is the vessel through which we carry out that mission. But ultimately it's about helping women feel strong, confident, and empowered in their lives and bodies. 
Yeah. You're speaking in the choir because I'm. that's everything that I stand for. And that's what we do with our gym and being a coach, personal trainer. I, I, I can really just align with what you're saying. I'm, I'm curious, Molly, after working with close to a million females, what do you think, what were most of these females yearning for? Like, what were some of the conversations that you were like, man, this is a continual conversation. This is something that is brought, getting brought up a lot. Maybe it, maybe it made you guys put out a specific program towards, or, you know, after nine years, there's gotta be something that's like, man, this topic needs to be addressed. Yes, I would say that so much of the root of why women get into health and fitness in the first place is related to body image and it's related to self-worth. And that kind of like, you know, spirals out into like a lot of disordered eating habits. I mean, there was a 2008 uh, survey of 4,000 women and showed 75% of them were engaging in disordered eating habits. So for people who aren't familiar with disordered eating, if you think about eating on a spectrum and on one end is normal eating, the other end is, is clinically diagnosable eating disorders. There's this spectrum right in the middle, right? Where there's problematic behaviors that are that, that are you know considered disordered and disordered eating is the biggest predictor of developing an eating disorder and eating disorders are the deadliest of all mental health issues so it can be like oh disordered eating's not you know whatever like uh you know these people are obsessed with what you know they're weighing their food and they're counting and they're afraid to eat this thing or they're talking about food is good and bad or whatever it can feel like it's not that big of a deal because we normalize so much of that behavior in health and fitness right so a lot of coaches are the ones who are prescribing that type of behavior or punishing their clients for eating a certain way and so it's really important like I, we find that that really is at the root of everything women come to us for a lot of reasons they want to lose body fat they want to now in the last five years, more of them are wanting to get a bigger deadlift and be able to do pull-ups and stuff. So we're seeing some of those goals kind of changing, which is really good. Um, but at the, for so many women who want to change their body at the root of it is body image struggles and self-worth. They feel like they're not good enough, which is a huge part of why the first half of strong women lift each other up is all about helping women overcome those struggles. So like you said, we have a million women in our community. They were coming to us with all these health and fitness goals. And I noticed that they were wanting to, they also want to have more meaning and purpose in their life. And so they were coming to us like, and a lot of times they think that having the perfect body is going to give them that thing. It's going to give them that worthiness. It's going to get them the attention that they want. People are going to envy them, right? They're going to get that sense of connection, belonging, worth that we're all ultimately craving. And so they were wanting to have that, but a couple things were getting in their way. And it was um, number one, they were wanting to help other women too, but there were several things getting in their way. So we've got these struggles with body image comparison and jealousy. And then a lot of women felt like that number one, they didn't know what to do. Number two, they felt like they're just one person. So whatever they're doing in the world to make the world a better place isn't enough. Or number three, they were criticized for what they were doing or not doing. So they were getting whatever public, you know, criticism or friends and family who weren't supportive of them. And so you have women who want to make a difference in the world. They want to help other women. Everyone's like, yay, the future is female. This girl can, right? They're, they're wanting to be part of that. But at the same time, they're also struggling with their own body image comparison, jealousy, competition, feeling like they're not good enough. And so it's this vicious cycle. It's like, if other women are better than me, they're taking my opportunities away. I'm, you know, struggling to support them, but I also want to do a lot of good in the world and, you know, and teach my, you know, my girls to support other girls and things like that. So it's this kind of vicious cycle where in order to create the kind of change that we want to create in the world, in order to make sure there's equitable representation of women in important places where decisions are made, in order for women to support one another um, and, and really want good for other women, like we have to work together to do that. But if we're so busy 
struggling with our own body image, comparing ourselves to others, feeling like we're not good enough, competing with other women. We don't do the work that it takes to make the difference that we're going to make. Amen. I mean, we could wrap it up right there, right? That's, that's just, that's phenomenal. And I want to dive into all that, unpack all of it. But first you talked about how over the last nine years, a lot of the people, a lot of the females um, goals have changed. It used to be kind of the body image stuff. It is changing more to having a heavier deadlift. Uh, what sort of other changes are you seeing? Or do you think that we're moving in a positive way? I mean, I hope we are. What are some of the things that you're noticing in your group, talking with the people in your circle and also with people with Girls Gone Strong? How have things been shifting more positively? Yeah. So I want to be clear in saying the majority of women that we encounter are still interested in fat loss. And to be fair, we're not anti-fat loss at all. We are pro body autonomy. You're in charge of you. I'm in charge of me. Like we get to do what we want with our own bodies. The issue is when women don't even necessarily want that goal for themselves, but they feel the pressure to have that because they think they have to look a certain way, or they think that achieving that particular goal is going to help them get there, right? The proverbial, like when, Mm -hmm. when I lose 10 pounds, when I wear a size six, when I have a flat stomach, then I'll start living my life, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's evidence that 85, 79% of young girls and 85% of women opt out of important life events because they don't think they look good enough to. So literally young girls, are not raising their hand in class, trying out for the soccer team, auditioning for the play, running for class president, because they don't like the way their bodies look. And it's being modeled by their parents. So 85% of women not going to weddings or reunions, not going to the beach with their kids. They do go to the beach. They won't get in the water because they don't want to get up and walk across the beach. They're not in pictures or videos. DJ, we have women in our community who say, I have no pictures of myself with my children, or I'm always hiding in the background just so you can barely see my face. I put them in front of me, right? So women are literally not participating in their own lives because they don't believe that they're good enough to. Now, certainly micro, you know, Girls Come Strong is like a microcosm, right? Like when people come to us often because they want to get strong. So I definitely think we see we see more of a shift in that within our own community than is actually happening out Mm -hmm. in the real world. Mm -hmm. But definitely some really positive shifts that I'm seeing are a lot more awareness about body image struggles, a lot more like body neutrality or body acceptance where women are just like, you know what, I'm going to engage in health promoting behaviors, regardless of whether or not it changes my body. And if it does great, but like, I'm not doing this to shrink my body. I'm doing it because I want to engage in behaviors that, um, that promote good health. And we're seeing a lot more women who are, um, yeah, who are just saying, you know what, like, Like I realized that I started doing this fitness thing because I wanted to feel good about me. So I'm still going to do the fitness thing, but I'm going to realize that it's not going to fix how I feel inside. So I'm going to do a lot more of that internal work. So I'd say just more awareness of kind of, you know, the problems with diet culture, the problems with, you know, the fitness industry or the beauty industry. Like I'm seeing a lot more awareness of that in our community and a lot more women who are interested in health, who are interested in function, who are interested in performance, um, which I think is a really positive shift. Now, we also have to be a little bit careful. I fell into the performance trap personally. Once I had done all my figure competitions, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and PCOS. So that's autoimmune thyroid disease and polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I was struggling with my weight and I, you know, for years, this was back in 2009, I had done multiple figure competitions. So I was used to being super shredded. All of a sudden I couldn't do that anymore. And I was like, well, if I can't be the really lean girl, I'm going to be the really strong girl. And so then that's when I started doing more powerlifting stuff. And I fell into the trap of, which a lot of coaches say, oh, don't worry about how you look. Just worry about what your body can do. And it's like, 
that's the same thing with like a different like cover on it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because shortly after that, I injured my back and started having chronic back pain. And so then it's like, well, then I can't be the really strong girl. Then who am I? Right. Mm -hmm. So we are seeing this positive shift towards health, you know, performance function. Um, But at the same time, I think we can still continue to be careful about um, how we talk about those goals, how much of our, um, you know, worthiness and um, significance that we put in those. So, and the coaches play a big role in that in terms of how we're talking to our, to our clients and things like that. Absolutely. And I think social media has been playing a huge role in this too. And a lot of people want to hate on it. And yes, there are some very negative side of things, but there's also a lot of positives. Like for instance, your page, you're very vulnerable. People really jive with what you're saying. It's almost like if you, people feel like they're your friend, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I feel like I'm your friend without even knowing you just because of listening to you on social media and and accepting and, and hearing your vulnerability. So I think those pages are super helpful as well. Just become people becoming more vulnerable with who they are, the, the struggles that they go through, um, being more honest. And and that's, that's what we need more of. Totally. I remember in like 2000 and gosh, so 2013 or 14, I did this. Um, it was like a, called like the love your body challenge. And it was a 20, 28 days of like reasons to love your body and like mantras and different things like that. And I remember in some of the, um, in some of the photos, I showed pictures of my cellulite and DJ, this, thing like it it didn't go as viral as like my big viral post or whatever that I had, but it went viral because a fitness professional was showing her cellulite. Like that's how inauthentic we were being like seven years ago, eight years ago. And then fast forward to 2016, I posted a photo of myself in a bathing suit on the beach. And the gist of the post was I like my body and I don't want to change it. So it was New Year's Day. It was the and I realized as I was like writing the caption or whatever. I was like, oh man, this is the first year in as long as I can remember that I don't have a New Year's resolution to change how my body looks. And so, no lie, this thing went mega viral. It reached like 446 or 464 billion, sorry, 464 million people worldwide. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It reached like 5% of the population at the time or 6%. It was bananas. And the, the literally the headline, it was like republished in all of these different languages. And some of the headlines, if you translate it back to English, was, woman in us likes her body and i'm like this did not just make international news you all it's literally like we lost one she broke out of the system she likes herself we can't prey on our insecurities anymore like red alert you know and it was just wild it was literally a picture of myself in a bathing suit saying i like my body i don't want to change it and it was like exploded all over the internet Wow. That's insane. To me, I'm thinking to myself, think about the people at my gym, Molly, and I'm thinking that people, you know, have love for their bodies, but yet they're still on this pursuit, right? They're still, they're still want more and they still want to attain things and goals and things like that. Tell me about the balance between loving yourself, loving your body, yet still striving for more without having those two, like come across each other where it's like, it's just not, it's the difference between it's not good enough versus I'm on, I'm on the path. Yeah, totally. So I think that a lot of people feel like um, that if they love or embrace their body, that they can't also want to change it. And there are a couple of important kind of points that I want to make about that. So number one, if you eat nutritious food or work out because you hate your body, even if you reach your goals, that's still not true health. So that's one really important point. Number two is if they think a specific aesthetic or performance goal will change their relationship with their body, 
then they're going to be disappointed because again, it's never going to be enough. Yes. And then believing that you can't like your body and want to change it means that the only reason to like your body has to do with its aesthetics or performance, not its function, not the fact that it allows you to, you know, kiss your partner or hold your children or breastfeed your baby or, you know, you hold your grandmother's hand or like whatever. It's like, it's like the only reason is because of the way that it looks or, you know, how much weight it can lift. And then finally, it's like believing you can't like your body and want it to be different means that only bodies you perceive as perfect are worthy of love. So it's like, if you start to think about any of those things, you're like, okay, wait, none of this stuff makes sense. And I think too, that, you know, this idea of like, I have to love my body. Like for a lot of people, that's never, they're never going to get there. That's too far for them. That's too much for them. A lot of women just want to stop thinking about their bodies. They're just mm. so exhausted yeah. with this concept. They've put, you know, they've spent so many years pulling up their shirt in the mirror, pinching their belly fat, weighing their spinach leaves, you know, starting a new diet stop. And they're just like, I just want to be like, I just want my bot to know that like, this is the meat suit that allows me to experience like life, right? Like, and that's the end of it. So for a lot of women, we're finding that like, like loving their body is a little bit too far. So it's like, Hey, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna accept it. I'm gonna have a neutral relationship with it. Um, and again, like, I think that this idea that if you, like, you have to hate yourself toward a certain goal, and I just don't, believe that. Like we don't necessarily think that in any other area of our life, like in business, right? Like we can have these really, you know, positive goals of like what we want to achieve in our career, our business. And we're not talking to ourselves like, oh, I'm the worst. I'm so bad. I haven't hit this thing yet. This is so tough. It's like, here's what I'm going to do. It's going to be really exciting. Like think about these possibilities. You know, for me right now, I'm doing our get jacked program, which is our hypertrophy program. And it's not because I think there's something wrong with my body. For me, it's about excitement. It's about possibility. It's about like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so fun. Like I'm going to get so jacked and my, you know, my muscles are going to get so much bigger. So I think that we just have to reframe. So we're just so used to speaking so negatively to ourselves and about ourselves and thinking that that's the driving factor, but it doesn't have to be like, that's not, that's not how we look at it in any other area of our lives. Like mm-hmm. you want to be a better parent. Again, you're not like, I'm the worst parent ever. This is so bad. Like, it's just like, hey, I want to be better for my kids. You know, I like, I have this goal for myself and here's what I want to do. Um, and so I think that it just has to be like this reframe of we don't have to hate ourselves to, into or beat ourselves into submission to get towards this goal. It can be about possibility. It can be about achievement. It can be about, you know, excitement. It can be about pushing ourselves, but it can have a positive focus instead of a negative focus. Totally. I think one thing I learned a few years ago from Mike and Adi Kaju was the idea that your bodies, and I think CrossFit does, did a really good job at this when, when it first kind of came out, but it was the idea of, you know, CrossFit doesn't really care how your body looks. We're more excited and we want to talk about the function. Like think about, you know, what your body can do. You're doing these pull-ups, these muscle-ups, people are do- walking on their hands and, and females are throwing up weight that you would never imagine. And sometimes it's just a healthier shift in mindset, in my opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, Molly, if you want to piggyback on it, but just the idea of maybe your body doesn't look the way that you want it to, but the function, think about the things that you're able to do because of the way you work out, the way you eat and your lifestyle. Sometimes the function, in my opinion, mm-hmm. I know it's easier said than done, is more important than the look and the physique. Yeah. And I think that I, I love that. And we do encourage that with a lot of our clients. Like, hey, like, I, you know, I know you're struggling to, you know, it's hot outside. You're struggling to wear shorts because you don't love the way that your legs look. But like, remember how you're, you know, how you crushed that squat session the other day or whatever, or, how, you know, you climbed that mountain or whatever the thing is. And so I think 
that that's a positive reframe for a lot of women. And I think, again, we still, anytime we're putting all of how we feel about ourselves in one thing, I think we have to be really careful. Because again, they're going to, what if they get injured? You know, what if they like get sick? What if they, you know, have a baby and take a year or two off and then they're not able to do it? Then, then again, they're, they're like, oh, well, I can't do the muscle ups I used to, and I can't do this. And so I think it's a more positive um, perspective on it. And I think for a lot of people, it is super healthy. It's just no matter what we're doing in any area of our life, we have to be careful about putting all of our eggs in that basket, whether it's being a parent, Mm. whether it's, you know, our academic achievements, whether it's how much money we're making, whether it's like, even if it's the good that we're doing in the world, right? Mm. Like we can't put all of who we are in something that can be taken away from us. That's so valuable. I love it. I want to dive into the book because I've, I absolutely love this book. So it's called strong women lift each other up. Tell me about, you know, what, you know, what, how does living, lifting women other up? How does that change your life? How did you get this idea? Let's just talk about the genesis of it before we dive in. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately I got the idea because for a long time I was not a strong woman who lifted other women up. Um, I was having a lot of my own personal struggles, again, body image, comparison, jealousy. I grew up um, without a lot of money. So I didn't have the cool clothes, you know, I was, I was bullied a bit and like, you know, elementary school and middle school and would and then in turn bully other girls at times because I was, you know, I didn't want the attention to be on me. And so um, I had some, you know, experiences struggling growing up. And then I was, you know, um, in like reality TV and gossip magazines. I mean, just the whole kind of the whole nine yards. Right. So I didn't always engage in that sort of behavior. When I was 18 or 19, I met a woman. She was, I'd started working out and she was a massage therapist at the gym. And she was the first woman DJ that I had ever heard who spoke so positively of other women all the time with such deep love and affection. And that's saying something because I come from a long line of incredible, like feminist activists, like women power, you know, my mom was the one like fighting to take shop in middle school, like instead of home ec and stuff like <laughs> and my, you know, grandmother marched with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, just come from like really progressive um, of these amazing women. Um, and at the same time, Taryn was just, it was just, again, this like deep love that she had, Like she never said anything negative about other women. And it kind of planted a seed in me. And then as I got further along in my fitness journey and started coaching clients, and I was like really liking, um, training women and helping them get strong in the gym, started my gym in 2010, my then business partner, his main focus was helping women get strong. Like he was like, had been doing it for so long. And so the, our, the main focus of our gym was on women. And it never occurred to me to focus just on women, but I just started realizing like how much I really loved empowering them through strength training. Then we start Girls Come Strong. And so the way that, and I talk about this in the book, that I want to be clear, there's no right way to lift women up, right? We're all going to do it in our own ways based on our lived experience and our superpowers and what we're passionate about, the resources we have access to. But as I look back, with like, you know, 2020, that like gift of 2020 hindsight, I can see that my definition of lifting women up kept expanding over time Mm. as I went through my own experiences. So when I first like started Girls Gun Strong, I was like, yeah, I'm lifting women up. I'm helping them get strong, right? Well, then I kind of went through my own body image crisis. And I was like, oh, it's about more than just like physically being strong or nutrition. Like we need to be talking about body image and we need to be talking about mental health. And then, and then couple more years go by and, you know, more people are starting to talk about like fat loss is problematic and this and that. And I was like, okay, we, we need to add autonomy. Like we need to like 
help women feel like they're in charge of their bodies and they get to make their decisions. Like mm-hmm. a lot of women grew up in households with, you know, parents who were really strict, who told them what they could and couldn't wear and, you know, made them feel negative about their bodies. And then they get married young and then they have babies and then they're nursing. And, you know, I mean, they, they, like literally they get to 30 years old and they're like, man, I've never made a decision about my body in my entire life. Um, and so uh, we were like, oh, we have to add autonomy to this. A couple more years go by and I'm like, oh man, I realized like, okay, there's a social justice component to this. Like, who are we representing at Girls Gone Strong? Does everyone feel like fitness is for them? Do Black women feel like fitness? Women of color, you know, women in the, in the LGBTQIA community, women who have disabilities, like, do they feel like they belong and that we're representing them? And they're like, okay, hold on. There's a whole other component to this. And so oh, every couple of years, I kind of have this big revelation where I'm like, oh, wow, like I could be doing more to lift women up and to be lifting all women up. And so 2018, I was asked to give a keynote speech in Melbourne, Australia, and I decided to give it, it was at the Women's Health and Fitness Summit, and I decided to do it on Strong Women Lift Each Other Up. And I worked on this speech with my friend and writing partner, Camille DePutter, who also helped with the book. And um, DJ, it was a 29-page speech. It was like 90 minutes. And my partner, Casey, I'm like getting ready. I'm like two minutes away from walking up to do it. He's like, are you just going to read that thing? Like, can you just get there and read it? Like, And I'm like, we're about to find out. And so I'm like, okay. I mean, I couldn't memorize a 90-minute talk. And so I get up there and I'm you know, going through and giving the speech. And at the end, it was like this standing ovation, like thunderous applause. And my partner told me, he's like, Molly, no one was looking at their phone. Everyone was like edge of their seat engaged. And afterwards, they all came up to me and they're like, what was, how did you, did you write? Where did that, they they just couldn't even, they didn't even have words for it. Like you gave, like you, you basically told me what had been happening inside my body. You gave language to things that I, you know, had been feeling, but didn't have words for and so I was like, ah, oh, man, this isn't a speech, this is a book. I don't have time to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, it literally was, and I'm not that person who really like gets that strong intuition about that kind of stuff, specifically not work, but literally it was like, okay, the idea of writing a book, like got inside my body and it would not go away. It was like knocking, like, excuse me, excuse me, let me out. So that was like, October, November of 2018, Christmas, I remember I couldn't sleep. I was at my partner's parents' house and I could not sleep. He's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, this is a book. This has to be a book. We have to write, I have to write this book. He's like, we don't have time for this. What are you talking about? And I would not drop it. And finally he's like, all right. Like, I feel like you're not going to be able to calm down and like do what you need to do in other areas of the organization unless, unless you have the chance to turn this into a book. And so that's how kind of how I, it's almost like it found me a little bit, if that makes sense. Um, But I just realized like, man, I really want to see a world where women get the opportunities they need to thrive and succeed, where they believe they're just, they're enough just as they are and where they're happy to see other women succeed because they know there's enough to go around. And I want to see a world where there's equitable representation of women in all the important places where decisions are made. And so one question that I get a lot about this book and that I got while writing the book is, is this book about me helping myself or is it about me helping other women? And the answer is that it's both Mm -hmm. because so many, the first half of the book is about overcoming all of the roadblocks that hold us back from supporting one another, the competition, the jealousy, the comparison trap. It's about getting clear on our values. It's about understanding that we're actually better together, giving women the tools to work together And then the second half of the book is like, okay, here are the ways that you can actually lift women up in your everyday life. So the chapter seven is like 
small but mighty ways to lift women up. I really wanted DJ at the end of the book. I didn't want people to be like, well, two things. I didn't want them to be inspired and excited and have no idea what to right. do because that's the worst, right? Yep. When you read a book mm-hmm. and you're like, yes, I'm mm-hmm. going to. I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do, actually, but like, I'm having a lot of feelings, you know? Um, And then number two, I didn't want them to get to the end and say, must be nice for you, Molly, but I don't have a platform. I don't have financial resources. I don't have a lot of time. You know, I wanted them to be like, oh, I can do this. There are things in the book that I can do right now. Mm -hmm. And so chapter seven is like really small things that don't require a lot of time, resources, network, platform, influence, anybody can do them. And then the next couple of chapters build on themselves until we're getting into like, okay, cool. What's your superpower? Like, how could you be lifting women up in these really big ways? But I really wanted it to be incredibly actionable um, and transformative. I wanted I wanted them not just to to hear and read the information, but to actually be able to put it into practice. Because you know, I'm a strength and conditioning coach by trade, but I consider myself to be someone who takes women from where they are now to where they want to be. That's what I consider a coach to be. You mm-hmm. Use your knowledge and skills, take someone from where they are to where they want to be. And I really wanted to transform women's lives with this book and not just inform them. Very cool. It's got a ton of value in it. I marked the crap out of it. I have so many notes. Um, and the, 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 the feeling I got was that you were sitting across from me as I was reading this. It was almost like, I was like, man, this, this woman gets it right. Like everything is, is real. This is real stuff. There's no beating around the bush. And then, you know, as I finished, I was like, she put everything into this book. There's nothing left. I mean, everything that you need to, in my opinion, and I'm not just blowing smoke is right here in this book. Uh, and so I really appreciate everything that you put in. You weren't hiding anything. Everything is just straight into the point. Um, and I'd like to go through some of it. If you don't, if you don't mind sharing some of the content. I would love to let's do it. Yeah. Cool. I honestly, I think the more people know about it, hopefully the more they, the more they like it or interested. So there's, there's no spoilers. There's no nothing. We can talk about whatever you want. Hundred percent. Cool. Let's start with the principles of lifting women up. So you have five principles here. I think we can go through each one. Um, maybe I'll I'll say the first one, and then you'll talk about it. And we'll kind of just go one by one. So the first one, Molly, as you know, of course, is believe you are worthy of your own care. Can you talk about why that's number one? Oh yes, so important. So so many women. Again, we were talking a little bit earlier about kind of the autonomy piece, and you know, women feeling like their lives don't belong to them. If you are a coach or a trainer. I have a feeling that you have a client who said, oh, I just feel so guilty taking this time away from my kids or like, oh man, or like, oh no, I work out because it makes me a better mom, makes me that, you know, better this or that, right? So many women, not only, so first off, they struggle with their own self-care, right? They're run absolutely ragged. Evidence suggests that women who are, who work full-time outside the home and are partnered with men do 16 extra hours every single week of unpaid domestic labor within the home. Yep. It's, I mean, think about that. That's over two hours a day. It's another part-time job. (laughs) I know exactly. An extra 16 hours. Um, and it's often invisible, right? It's all the things that you don't think about. And so it's not like they're actually going out and working a job. So that, so it's recognized. It's like, Oh, you work two jobs. It's like, Oh no. Like, yeah, I work this, uh, this, you know, full-time job and this other job inside the home. And so there's so much less time. There's so much less even emotional capacity. So, so many women are struggling with their own care. And then for those who are engaging in self-care, whether it's, you know, working out with a trainer, going to the gym, going for a walk, having a, you know, doing a book club with their girlfriends or whatever, it's almost always framed through the lens of put your oxygen mask on first before you assist others, right? It's like, hey, no, you should, you really need to take care of yourself because it, you know, so that you can take care of other people. You can't take care of other people if you don't take care of yourself. It's like, hold on a second. 
let's take this one step further and say, how about you are, you take care of yourself because you are a human who's worthy of her own care outside of your relationship to your children, to your partner, your boss, your you know aging parents that you're taking care of. Like, no, you are just a human who's worthy of care. Because again, when we frame it as you are worthy of this so that you can give to other people, it's again, it's like kind of the same problem, but like yeah. we're just putting another face on it. So I just really wanted women to know. And I wanted them to know that lifting other women up is not another thing on their to-do list where they put themselves on the back burner. And that one of the most powerful things that they could do to lift other women up is role model what it looks like to care for themselves. Mm, yeah. Great stuff. And I think sometimes we forget about that, right? We get busy, uh, have other things going on and we kind of put ourselves last and then we just get into kind of that burnout stage or, or you know, some things even serious, more serious diseases, mm -hmm. things like that sickness. But, um, yeah, it's just a, just such a great reminder to you know put yourself first, and whether it is for other people or not, like you you know you can't fill from an empty cup, right? Mm -hmm. um, number two, embrace small and simple, and this is talking about the ripple effect. I think this is like everybody. If you're if you haven't been listening, turn it up because if if you were to take away one thing from this, I think you'd agree, Molly. Embrace the small and simple. Yeah, absolutely. So again, like with so much on our to do list, our self care is often already on the back burner. Um, I think that, it, and again, we see this in health and fitness all the time, right? If you have someone that comes to you and they're like, okay, so like, you know, I really want to lose weight or I really want to like, you know, lower my cholesterol or, you know, improve my blood pressure, or whatever. And you're like, okay, cool. So like, let's talk about what this might look like. They're like, I'm ready to do this 30 day, you know, shred program or whatever. And it's like, well, how about we just start by putting your fork down in between bites. So every time you have food in your mouth, your fork's on your plate. And what that's going to do is it's going to help you slow down your eating a little bit. It's going to make you more mindful. You'll probably notice that you're fuller faster. So, you know, whatever you have this conversation with them and they're like, put my fork down between bites. What's that going to do? Right. And they won't buy into it because it seems too easy. It doesn't feel big enough. Fast forward six months, they tried the 30 day shred they maybe stopped at day 17 or even if they made it all the way to day 30, it was too hard. They couldn't do it. They went back to their old habits. They maybe even, you know, went a little bit harder because they'd been restricting. They come back to you six months later and nothing has changed. Their cholesterol is still the same. Their blood pressure is still the same. Their body weight is still the same. And it's like, okay, cool. So like if you had just started with putting your fork down in between right. bites, like maybe you wouldn't have made enormous progress that first month. But after that first month, then we would have started you know, another habit, then we would have started prioritizing having protein with all of your meals or having a, you know, serving of fruit or vegetables with every, you know, every other meal or whatever the thing is. And it's like over that six months, we would have built these really small, simple habits. So six months down the road, you would have seen a significant drop in your blood pressure. You would have seen your cholesterol lowered. You might have lost you know, body fat and shrunk a clothing size or whatever the thing is. And so I think, but when we first hear it, it just seems too easy. It doesn't too feel easy. like it's yeah. enough. Right. Yes. And so I really wanted women to know, like when I, when you get to chapter seven, there are some really simple things to do things like give a woman a genuine compliment, you know, share another woman's work, um, endorse or like, you know, kind of put your name behind her or whatever the thing is. And those things feel really small, but what we don't realize is the massive ripple effect that they can have over time. One of my favorite examples, and I actually, and I didn't, it's funny, I didn't really know this until um, after the book was written. But one of the women that I talk about in the book named Chrissy King, in the, um, in the chapter about using your voice or uh, using your voice for good, she told me later 
that she was a fitness professional. Um, she wrote an article that like really kind of exploded and we ended up reaching out to her um, to write some articles for Girls Gone Strong. So this was like 2017. So we were asking her to write some articles about um, representation of black women in fitness and racism in fitness and things like that. And she told me, DJ, that that was the first time that anyone had ever paid her to write. And it was like a hundred bucks or something, right? It was like not that big of a deal to us. And we had had dozens of women write for us. So me reaching out saying, Hey, Chrissy, I'd love for you to write this article. We'll pay you a hundred bucks, whatever. That to me felt very routine. And she said that that shifted her entire perspective, helped her realize that she could actually get paid for her writing. And now she writes for Shape, she writes for Self, she writes for Shondaland. She's working on a diversity and inclusion certification with one of the major certifying bodies in health and fitness. She consults for Google, Nike, Under Armour, and it's just like, what? And literally, (laughs) I know me too. Like, and it started because. I mean, you know, it a hundred percent of the of the of the um, credit has to go to her for sure. taking that opportunity mm-hmm. and turning it into something incredible. But literally, she said me asking her to write that thing, which I didn't think about, you know, at all, helped shift her perspective so much that she was able to turn around and create this massive ripple effect with it. And and again, that happened in 2017. I didn't hear about it until late 2020. Mm-hmm. So for three years, this ripple effect was taking place. And I didn't even know what, what I had done or what we had done to, you know, whatever in that time. And so like, I just really want people to know like, man, these really small things like you never know, like you compliment a woman, right? Like you don't know if that's going to give her the confidence to ask for a raise to, uh, you know, like go out for a promotion to, you know, role model what it looks like to set boundaries for her daughter or whatever. Like there's so many positive things that it could do. Um, that I just really want people to know, like embrace the small and simple because it can have incredible ripple effects down the line. Great advice. Uh, number four is, uh, so the principles of lifting women up. Number four is choose your own adventure. Yeah. So I wanted, um, again, autonomy is like one of my, it's not, not my top three values, but it, it is one of our top five values for girls come strong. I really think it's important for people to buy in to what they're doing. Um, they have to have some level of autonomy to make their own decision, right? And so this book, it's, um, I don't know, you, what, 300 pages or something. And there's next steps exercises at the end of every single one. So that choose your own adventure for this particular thing was like, hey, cool, you can go through and read the whole book from start to finish and not stop and do the exercises. You can do some of the exercises if you want, you can come back to the exercises. But the point is that you get through the material in a way that's going to feel um, feel good for you and work for your particular lifestyle. Yeah. To me, it was also like, choose your own adventure in a sense, Molly, where it's like, you know what, if complimenting is not your thing, maybe like sending a letter is your thing. Like what works for you? Because it might not work for everybody else. If you're not, you know, at a gym, it might not, it might be, you know, more difficult to compliment somebody on their form, but you can, everybody can write a letter or an email. So it, it might not look the same for everybody, but find what works for you. Yes, 100% is like the most important thing. And you know, that's what I say. You don't have to do everything in the book, right? Just pick the thing that sure. makes the most sense and implement that because that's going to, you're going to be more consistent with it. You're going to feel better about it. It's going to feel more genuine. So, yes, you're exactly right about that one. Number five, and this is, I'm really big on this, obviously being in the CrossFit space, but find your own community. Why are you so passionate about that for, winning, for um, lifting women up? 
we are here for connection and belonging. And so many women, and again, especially women, I'm, I'm, I'll be 37, gosh, is it July? I'll be 37 this month. So many women struggle with making friends or finding community later in life, um, especially if they have a hobby, like they're really into lifting or whatever, maybe it's difficult for them to find other women who are like that, or if they're a mom, maybe it's hard to find mom friends who are into the same stuff, or if they're not a mom, it's hard to find friends who aren't. So I just think it's so important. Like we are here for connection and belonging. And like one of the most powerful ways I think you can set yourself up for success in any area of your life is to have that community and belonging. And there's actually evidence that loneliness is deadlier than smoking, than heavy drinking. Like literally you you have a higher mortality risk as someone who suffers from chronic loneliness than you do if you are a pack a day smoker. Like that is how important community and belonging is to our overall well-being. Do you have any tips or advice for people who are listening? They're like, man, I would love to get into a community, Molly, but where do I start? Do you have any just general advice for somebody in that, in that boat? Yeah. So obviously we're coming out of COVID. So I think it it definitely depends on where you live, but that's what makes the internet so powerful. I mean, we have three different communities within the Girls Gone Strong community that are all closed Facebook groups. So one is our GGS coaching and training women group. It has 44,000 professionals in there from all over the world. Really cool. And it's for current and aspiring professionals. So if you're even thinking about becoming a health and fitness professional, joining that group is really powerful. I'll promise there's going to be someone in your your town or in the neighboring town with 44,000 people in there. That's a really powerful place to start. For women who are listening, we have a group called GGS called Strong Women Lift Each Other Up. So again, search for that on Facebook. So I think right now with the different like COVID restrictions and things like that, and honestly, we're all kind of like learning how to be social again, right? The last like 15 to 18 months of isolation have been really difficult for a lot of people. So I think connecting with people online can be a great first place to start. And then, like you said, the CrossFit community is a really powerful place. I mean, every CrossFit gym I've ever walked into has been so warm, so welcoming, so open. They're just like, they're just glad that you're there. So that can be also a really powerful place. I want to transition and talk about something that's a little bit more heavy, but you do such a good job just taking it head on. You talk about it in your book and it's, it's overcoming comparison and jealousy and also the scarce, the scarcity mindset. And this is something that, you know, I've, I've been through personally in relationships as well. So I have some experience with it, but it just seems like it's just hard to find your solutions to work through. And you do a good job talking about kind of the four techniques here before we get into the four, is there anything that you'd just want to add or just kind of preface when it comes to talking about scarcity mindset? comparison and jealousy before we get deeper? Yeah. So I think I just want to define really quickly what yeah. scarcity mindset is. So scarcity mindset for um, for me showed up so much with my body, right? It showed up with like, I'm not good enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not lean enough or pretty enough. For other women, scarcity mindset can show up in a number of different ways. So for them, it can show up in like, I don't feel like I'm a good enough parent. I don't want to slow down or take a break from work because other women might get ahead of me and, you know, succeed more. Right. Like, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. Like I need to give more like my, you know, my sister, she's president of the PTA and she takes care of our mom and she doesn't like, I have to do more. Right. And then, um, I feel guilty when I take time to care for myself because I don't want to be seen as selfish or, you know, when I'm feeling badly about myself, I opt out of things. So scarcity is this just like, I am not enough. I'm not measuring up in some way. The comparison trap oftentimes shows up in us comparing ourselves to other women. So we're comparing our bodies, our lives, our kids, our, you know, clothing, our house, our finances, our partner, whatever. But 
can also be us comparing ourselves to a past version of ourselves. So mm-hmm. I used to be this. So I used to be more fit. I used to be leaner. I used to be this and that or comparing ourselves to a future version of ourselves. So when this happens, then I will. So like when I lose 10 pounds, when I have a flat stomach, you know, when I get this particular job, even when I get engaged or when I have a baby or whatever the thing is, then I'll be happy. Right. And so it's just really, yeah, it's really challenging because we get women get totally like wrapped up in all of this. And so I think, um, and they don't know how to get out is the problem, right? It's like, oh, you should just feel good about yourself. You should exactly. stop comparing yeah. yourself to other people. And it's like, okay, but cool, but how, <laughs> you know? <laughs> totally. And you do a great job talking about in the book. And this is, to me, this was the most valuable part that I got out of it. And so I, I'd really love to get in and share it. So the first one, Molly, that you talked about is, is notice and name and this, and I have in parentheses awareness. So talk to me a little bit mm-hmm. about why that's number one. Yeah, we can't change things if we aren't aware of them, right? So mm-hmm. noticing and naming. So as soon as we say, okay, cool. I'm struggling with, you know, comparing myself to other women, or I'm struggling with comparing myself to like saying when this happens, then I'll be happy, right? We can't change anything that we're not aware of. So the, so the noticing part is just like, okay, you're telling yourself, like, I want to be more aware of this when this happens, it activates your reticular activating uh, system. And you're just like, okay, now I'm kind of more like more aware of this. But then the naming part is really powerful because there's evidence to suggest that when we name how we're feeling, it actually reduces the intensity of the emotion a little bit. So if we're really frustrated, we say like, oh, I'm so frustrated. If we're feeling jealous, we're like, I'm feeling really jealous right now. It actually creates a little bit of space between Mm. us and the emotion. And it helps reduce the intensity of it so that we can actually start to do something about it. Interesting. We know we, we, we have to be aware first, right? Like we, if we want to take the stuff head on, we have to notice when these feelings rush and come together. And so, yes, it makes total sense. Awareness is number one. So I'm feeling jealous about this uh, and kind of putting that out there, whether it's out in, in the air, or maybe it's a, a journaling kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So that, so then we move into number two, which is think, and I love this quote, think of comparison as a mirror, not a window. Can you give some examples? And also what does that quote mean? Yeah. So think of a comparison as a mirror, not a window. So when we're comparing ourselves to someone else, it's not actually about them. It's a reflection of what we are struggling with. So when we do that, then we can actually take the time to get a little bit curious and say, okay, cool. So I was scrolling through social media. I saw this woman on this awesome vacation. I'm feeling jealous of it. Like, oh, or I saw this woman, you know, her, she just had this amazing, you know, post baby body transformation or whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling jealous about it. Right. It's not actually about her and her body or her and her vacation. It's because there's something going on within you that you can actually take the time to address. So maybe you're like, you know what? I had my kid, you know, my last child a year and a half ago, I told myself I would get back in the gym. I just haven't been doing what I need to do to, you know, take care of myself or whatever. Like, it's not about her, like whatever happens to her and her body, like that has nothing to do with you. Right. So if you, but if you can realize that comparing yourself to her is actually just a window into what you're struggling with, then it gives you the opportunity to say, okay, cool. Am I ready to do something about this? Right. Like, am I ready to go back to the gym? Am I ready to you know, start paying a little bit more attention to what I'm eating. And then it allows you to focus on what you're doing since that's the only thing and the only person that you can control. Super well said. And and, and it sounds great, but it's, this is hard stuff. It is. It's very hard stuff. And that's why you don't have to do it all over, like, like immediately, right? It's not like you run through all of these techniques and then you're, you know, you're good within a week. Like maybe you spend a week or two just noticing when it's happening and you say, okay, it's happening when I'm scrolling on social media. Okay. It's happening when I'm 
you know, talking to this mm. woman at work who I, you know, pretends to be my friend, but she always puts me down or whatever, you know, whatever sure. the thing is, you can start saying, okay, like, when is this happening and how am I feeling? And in that instance, you can actually start curating your experience a little bit. Maybe there's some people that you need to unfollow on social media. Maybe there's some boundaries that you need to set with some of friends or family members in your life. Maybe there's some boundaries you need to set with your coworker, right? Like there are things, then you can start noticing. And the goal is not to remove all of these kind of like triggering events out of your life, but it is to reduce them for a while while you build that resilience so that when those things happen more in the future, they don't impact you in the same way. Interestingly enough, the lift strong women up, it's interesting because when you read the title, you're thinking how you're going to help other people. And as we're talking, Molly, it really has to start with you and not only start with you, but I'm getting the sense it just the whole, the whole journey is the relationship with you first. Do you agree? Absolutely. Because if not, like if not, then you are not, then when it comes to lifting other women up, it's not going to be coming from a genuine place. You're going to do it less often. You're not going to feel good about doing it, right? Like you're going to support another woman or endorse another woman for a job or whatever. And then you're going to be like, I can't believe she got that. She knew, you know, instead of being like, this is so awesome. I'm so excited for you. Oh my gosh, you deserve this. You know, like that's what happens Mm -hmm. when you lift other women up. And in fact, in this chapter that we're talking about, chapter four of the book, I talk about a woman named Jen Comas, who's a Girls Gone Strong co-founder, one of my best friends. She's head of our coaching program. And I struggled with feeling really jealous of her for a long time. And we were friends. I kind of put that in air quotes, but like there was a lot of distance between us because I was like, she's so beautiful. Her body's this, she's getting all this attention and health and fitness and this and that. And um, obviously we've done a lot of healing of our relationship. But when I told her about this book, she said to me, I have the happiest pang of jealousy for you right now, because this is something I've always wanted for myself. I'm so proud of you. You're no one deserves this more than you. You're going to crush it. Yeah. And it was this beautiful moment of her saying, I'm so happy and I'm feeling a little bit jealous, but she knew it was because she wanted it for herself. And she was able to hold both of those emotions at the same time and say like, I am here for you. I support you. Like, and she just said it out loud so that now I know that that's how she was feeling. And here's the thing. If she ever gets to the place to write a book, she has a friend who's been there and done that who can reach their hand back and pull her along and show her the ropes and make the introductions. Like that's what happens when you lift other women up, right? Is that oftentimes we're, we're blazing a trail for the other people who yes. want to do the same things that we want to do. And so I really thought that that was such a beautiful thing because she didn't leave the jealousy behind, right? She was able to say, oh, I'm feeling this, identify where it's coming from and then say, cool, this actually gives me good, valuable information. This can be a compass for me to say, hey, maybe this is something that I want to do someday. Right. And not to mention, people know when it's genuine, right? People know when you're congratulating somebody else and they're like, man, I can just feel like the reason, you know, you sound like you're not happy about it because all you're thinking oh, about right must now. Must be nice. Yeah. yeah. And you're thinking like, you, you're you not, you're just saying this because oh, uh, you're in the back of your mind as you're talking, you're thinking, man, I would love to be in this person's position. So yeah, really good. Number three, this is a big one. Learn to separate their highlight reel from your behind the scenes. 
Yeah. So, so much of what we see on social media, we see 4,000 to 10,000 images a day on social media, and we are only processing 8% of what we see consciously. So the other 92% that we're processing, it's like, we see this person on this awesome vacation and we instantly think, oh, she's in a happy marriage. Her kids are well-behaved. She's got all this money. She's, you know, we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. And so, you know, I give some of the examples in the book where I say like, okay, cool. You know, maybe you have a, um, you know, you like, you see someone who has this amazing job, right. And she's just like crushing it and getting all these promotions and stuff, but maybe she's looking at you at happy hour with your friends going like, Oh, like, man, I miss my friends so much. Like I've just been putting my head down, working so hard. Like, you know, I wish I could just be having a drink with my friends and, you know, not worrying about it or whatever the thing is. And that doesn't mean that everyone that we see on social media who seems happy, isn't really happy. It just means we don't know the full story which leads us to the next technique, which is about running that comparison and jealousy through your values filter, right? Because if your value, top values are like, you know, family connection and adventure or something like that, like working 80 hours a week toward a promotion that you think looks good because your friend has it and she's making more money than you now, like that doesn't actually align with your values. That wouldn't make you happy. That would make you miserable. Mm -hmm. And so- if you can take what you're seeing and ask yourself these questions, okay, I'm feeling jealous. And you ask yourself, do I want what they have? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. If, it, if the answer is yes, then you can say, am I willing to do what it takes to get the thing that they have? Like, I think a lot of people look at what we've got with Girls Gone Strong, like that would be so awesome. I would want that. I don't think people would want the years of 70 and 80 hour work weeks where my hair was falling out, right? Like they wouldn't want that for themselves. And I'm not glorifying that. I'm just speaking really honestly that that's what it took to do that. At least that's what it took for us to do the thing um, that we do. And I actually was very clear. I am sacrificing times with time with my friends, time with my family. I'm sacrificing my health. I'm, you know, I'm not spending as much time with my niece and nephews as I could. Like, and I knew that I was very aware of that trade-off. Um, and luckily that we are kind of over that hump and I'm, and I'm getting to a place of a lot more balance today, but like people wouldn't want to, they would not have wanted to do that. They would have tapped out. And and again, doesn't mean I'm better than them or worse no. than them. Like maybe, you know, they got to, they have a, a lot more memories with their family or whatever the thing is that I do at, at that. It's just a, it's just a trade-off. And so saying like, am I willing to do what it takes to get it? Then when you say like, yes, I'm willing to do what it takes, does it align with my values? Maybe you're willing to put in the work. That's not ultimately going to make you happy because it's not aligned with whatever your highest value is, which is why in chapter five, we dive into discovering what your top values are and not just discovering them, but actually ranking them because mm-hmm. sometimes they, you have to make decisions where they compete with one another and then reality testing them. Okay. If I were going to make this decision you know, uh, in this way that's aligned with my values and it puts me in the minority and people were going to be upset with me, would I still feel good about that decision that I'm making? Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the most powerful tools that I have found for decision-making, for feeling steadfast in, you know, my actions and the things that I'm doing and just really having a lot more um, deep satisfaction with the choices that I'm making. I'm so glad you brought that up. I I bookmarked that page because I just love the the simplicity of, you know, feeling jealous. Do I want what they have? Am I willing to do what it takes? And then it's just like, if it's a no, like it's it, great. You don't actually want it. You can let the jealousy go. It's, it's, it's very simple. Right. And, and it's mm-hmm. self-reflection. It's almost like a gut check a little bit. Like, you know, you have that jealousy moment, you see the, you see the white picket fence and this beautiful thing, but you don't know what's behind the scenes. And then it's like, well, do you act, do you want that? Oh, you don't. 
all right, let's let this go because you mm-hmm. might, it's just a simple check to yourself of like, you don't actually want that. So why, why are you letting it affect you? Yeah. And again, if you've created that space by noticing and naming how you're feeling and then getting curious about it, realizing it's about you. So it's like, okay, maybe I don't want the white picket fence, but maybe I do want a little bit more um, security or maybe, maybe there are just a couple of things I could do around my home to make it feel more homey. You know, like maybe I haven't taken the time to do that. Like there are there are nuggets or clues, right, that you can that you can find within that. So maybe you don't want the whole thing that they have, or maybe, you know, whatever it is, but you can make small tweaks and adjustments. I think that's really powerful too. Realizing it's always about you. Like you're the one in control. You can only control what you do. And so paying attention to how you're feeling about it, asking yourself those questions, and then saying, okay, cool. Maybe I don't want that. But is there a little part of what they have that, you know, I could maybe add to my life that would help me feel more satisfied or whatever the thing is, but a lot of introspection and self-work. And I tried very hard to give you these specific tools and action steps to do the thing. Yeah. Awesome. I want to be mindful of your time here, but I have to ask this last question being a, a, a male myself, what would you say, Molly, how can men do a better job at lifting up women? Mm, such a good question. And thank you so much for asking that. Obviously, I think reading the book would be a really great place to start. But, you know, one of the things that you said, right, I think it was right when we started recording or right before, is you said like, hey, like, this is important to me, and I want to do this well, I might not say the right thing, or I might whatever you might have to kind of read me in or, you know, or help me, you know, understand a place that I'm missing. So I think it's important first to have the desire to want to do it. That's really important. Second is to know, like, women's experiences are a lot different than yours. And so there's going to be a lot of stuff that you don't know. So you need to be aware of, listen to, believe their, you know, believe what they have to say and like just understand that your experiences are going to be different from theirs. And then finding ways to lift them up in your everyday life. So the the small but mighty ways in chapter seven are not just for women. There are a number of things that you can do. You can give women a genuine compliment. You can be intentional about buying or supporting women-owned businesses. Like you can literally be like, hey, cool, I'm looking for a new whatever it is, like a new protein powder or a new, you know, whatever the thing is, and say, like woman-owned protein powder business or whatever the thing is, and just go find it. You can endorse or recommend another woman. So, like when we get off this podcast, if you have another friend that has a podcast, you'd be like, yo, I just interviewed Molly Galbraith. It was so awesome. I really think that you should reach out to her. Or if you're speaking at an event, you can say, hey. Um, there's 10 speakers, but there's only, you know, nine of them are guys. Like I know some really awesome women who could come speak at this event that I think that, you know, that you should really consider for next year or, Hey, like, have you thought about doing a pre-conference event? And, you know, we can add some more speakers to this lineup. Like it has to matter to you enough that you make those decisions to do the thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there are really small, but important ways. So just pay more, pay more attention to the areas in which like women aren't invited as often women aren't represented. Like, like that kind of stuff is super important. And you can say, Hey, what can I do about this? How can I help? Um, so yeah, I think those are some really, really powerful ways that you can do it. And if you want more, you can grab the book, strong women, lift each other up. You could buy it for the women in your life that you care about, give it to your clients. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of cool action steps in there that you can take. You can speak up if you hear something negative said about other women, speak up if people are making off color jokes, like there's yeah, all kinds of, all kinds of stuff that you can do. Very cool. I have an odd, but yet very real question that I, that I want to ask. It just kind of sprung up and uh, you've probably never been asked this before, Molly, but how, <laughs> how can men, how can men compliment women without mm-hmm. 
crossing a line, being creepy, but they generally agree. So in a fitness space, right? Like I'm thinking, you know, I've been taught as a young age, like you'll comment on a woman's body, right? Because it could, right. it can, you know, bring back memories. It can, you know, if you say something wrong, that could be, you know, I wasn't even going for this. It could be taken wrong. Is totally. it even in a men's, is that something even a male should be even thinking about? I mean, I'm thinking about a person like a trainer or somebody at the gym who is in the right intention. They, they're, they're really trying to be genuine here, but are you just mm-hmm. as, as men, are you not in the right place for that? And, and how do you kind of cross that gray area? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think that um, this, there's, there's a couple, there's a couple of intangible things, okay. right? There's a, there's a, there's a vibe issue. Going yes, yeah, of course. You know of what course. I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. 100% like there, there's a there's a vibe issue there's like where are you looking where are you standing have yeah, you been yeah, leering yeah. you know yeah. all that kind of stuff there's a there's a whole energy and vibe, vibe thing going on but one of the things that I think is really powerful would be to compliment her on something again that has nothing to do with the way that her body looks but about maybe how strong she is or how hard she works or how consistent mm-hmm. she is and to not expect anything in return right so you can just like if and and so a couple things don't have creepy energy. Don't have creepy energy, right? <laughs> Number sure one. You haven't been leering, leering or staring. Um, if and and do it if there's a natural break in the workout, or she has her headphones out, or whatever the thing is. Like if I'm in the middle of a set and I've got my earbuds in, like I don't want anybody telling me how strong I am or how good my form is or whatever. Like I'm there to you know to focus and do something. Um, but like I said, if there's a natural break, you can just walk up and be like, you like if you crushed that deadlift, that was awesome, and then just walk away. Don't like stand around and wait to try to have the conversation with her. Like, you know what I mean? And then if she wants to continue initiating conversation with you, she probably will. You've opened that door. And again, it doesn't have to be romantic either. But like, if you all want to become gym buddies or whatever, you've opened that door. You've given her a genuine compliment. You've not been creepy about it. You've not expected anything in return. You haven't demanded her time. Because even just standing there waiting to have a conversation is in you know, kind of implicit demand on her time and her energy. So say the thing, walk away, be friendly. You've opened the, you know, you've opened the door for more conversation. And if she wants to have it, she'll have it. But I think very few women, very few women would be mad if a guy just walked up to, to them and were like, that, like, you are so strong. Like that is such a heavy deadlift or like, like, I can't believe how you crush those pull-ups. That's awesome. Or like, you work so hard in here. I just want to let you, well, you know, I yeah. noticed. And then walk away. Good. Like, they're yep. not going to be like, man, you know, like mad at you or whatever. But if you stand there and you like want to keep talking or like, you know, or expecting some like conversation in return or that's when they'd be like, dude, leave me alone. I'm just trying to lift or whatever yes. the thing is. So, yeah. so have a cool vibe. Don't be creepy. Say the thing that has nothing to do with her body. It has to do with her effort or her strength or whatever, and then walk away and and do it when there's a break in her workout or, you know, she's got her earbuds out or she's, you know, whatever. Very tangible advice. And I think sometimes guys would think, well, I, I, you know, I said, I said, you look great. What's wrong? What's wrong with that? But the idea is that then you get the, then they start circling thinking, well, did I not look great before? Like, what does great mean? So yeah, it's just that next level thinking. But to me, that is a very uh, important and a crucial way that men can help lift women up and do it the right way. So yeah, very, very awesome advice. Uh, Molly, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I have so many notes from the book and it's just, it was, uh, it was fun reading and get to know, getting to know you, researching you and doing all that uh, fun stuff along the way. So thank you. Um, for my listeners, how can I direct them towards you? Obviously the book, uh, is there any other things or projects that you'd like me to, or that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So the book is a great way. They can just Google it or go to mollygalbraith.com forward slash book. It's all at all major retailers. If there are health and fitness professionals listening and they want more of this valuable, tangible, actionable insight on coaching women, 
We have our two certifications. Both of those can be found at girlsgunstrong.com. Like I said, one is the women's coaching specialist certification covers all the stuff they do not teach you in school, right? right like right. <laughs> like all the stuff about coaching women. Like I said, there's 200 pages on coaching on the psychology and coaching women. Wow. So like all the tangible stuff that we were just talking about. And then again, all of the anatomical and physiological. So menstrual cycle, menopause, osteoporosis, PCOS, Hashimoto's, disordered eating, all within a coach's scope of practice, which is very important. And then we've got the one that's very specific to the pre and postnatal period. And that's again, coaching, psychology, anatomy, and physiology, um, exercise, rest, recovery, all very specific to that period. So literally no other certifications like them exist. We saw a big gap in the industry and it's been really cool. We've got thousands of students in over a um, hundred countries. So okay. yeah, if people are interested in those resources, that would be, those would be really powerful ways that they can learn. They can get more of this type of insight. Like we were talking about for working with women, 67 to 75% of people who hire a coach or trainer are women. So there, and there's very little information about, it, so there's a lot to know. So that'd be a great place. And then of course you can connect with me on Instagram at the Molly Galbraith and girls come strong at the girls come strong. Awesome. Thank you again for taking the time. Everything that you're doing is great. I support it all and uh, just keep doing great things with the fitness industry. Guys, if you, if you enjoyed the show, uh, make sure to leave a rating review and let us know what you got out of it. What were your favorite parts? And obviously get this book. Uh, it's a phenomenal book. It's got action steps. Everything is in it. There's no secrets. She does a great job of just getting right to the point on everything. So I really recommend it. Uh, you can actually get a target as well. That's where I saw it at our local targets. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty so cool, awesome. right? <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we'll see you next week for another episode on the My Fit Podcast. Take care.